I wasn't going to church. I had some anger problems then because I used to get mad. I'm punching holes in walls because I was just frustrated and I had no means of getting through with my frustrations. I'm like, ugh, you know, just like raw. I started going to berserker rages. Finally, you know, we were studying and coming to church. And then I was talking to my close friend and he was like, yeah, man, you need to get baptized. And I knew why I was getting baptized. I knew what was happening when I went in the water and I came out the water. And I knew, you know, everything that was uh, that was required of me, you know, as being a child of God. You can even ask my wife. She'll tell you, when we first got together, I was, I was kind of cold-hearted. And, you know what I'm saying, she was like, she even tell me, like, today, like, baby, you, you know, you changed a lot. And I was like, yeah, you know, because we can do all things when it's Christ that strengthens us. I just want to begin by saying, if you haven't noticed, it's very crowded in here. And at the first of the service, I even went up to the balcony and walked across the back. And it's very crowded up there. And people are in all kinds of places, including some outside watching screens. And I just want to say, if you don't like where you're sitting, my only suggestion is find you a very big person and say, preacher said I could sit in your lap because we used up all the other places. But we're going to, by the fall, address this situation and make sure that we have more room at this service. But thank you for your patience. Now, last Sunday, if you were not here, uh, I hope you would get online, listen to the lesson, do the podcast thing, or get a CD. Because we started a new series called Identity, where we're suggesting that in the power of Christ, we can become the people we were meant to be. We can achieve a new and a born-again identity. And we want to continue that thought this morning, and I want to begin with a wonderful story, a true story of a lady up in Denver who deserves an award, in my judgment. She works for United Airlines, and it was one of those days when United had to cancel a flight, and we've all been there. You know how frustrating it is to be in the airport, and the plans you had don't happen, and you've got to make new plans, and everybody in line thinks their situation is the most important, and it can really tax your patience. Well, this lady worked at the ticket counter there, and she was trying to help all of these people reschedule their flights. When a man forces his way past the crowd up to the very front, puts his ticket on the counter, and says, I have to be on this flight And it has to be first class. And the ticket agent very sweetly smiled and said, I've got a lot of people in front of you that I must help first. And then as soon as it is your turn, I will do my very best to see what I can do to accommodate you. Well, this guy kind of turns around and says in a way that everyone can hear, do you have any idea who I am? And she just calmly and sweetly picks up the microphone and says, Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, we have a man here at the front desk who does not know who he is. (laughs) And so if you can help him find his identity, please come to the front. And the reason that man behaved so poorly was because he did not know who he was. Now, he might have thought he knew, but his... Actions reveal that he suffered from a case of mistaken identity. And as I suggested last week, what he needed, what you and I need, is not a good self-image. 
We need a God self-image because God specializes in giving men and women a born-again identity. We read this all through the Bible. In fact, one of the ways God emphasizes this part of his nature is by actually renaming people. Probably the best example in the Old Testament is when he took Abram and said, from now on I'm going to call you Abraham. Or when Jesus took Simon in the New Testament and said, from now on I'm going to call you Peter. And it's interesting that God renames people to redefine people, to get them to embrace a new future with new possibilities. And once God gives somebody a new identity, he doesn't refer to that old identity anymore. He discards it. Now, this is very important because you need to know that before you came to Christ, God had some names for you. They're right there in the Bible. One of them was enemies. You were the enemy of God. Another one is objects of wrath. And if you don't like that one, how about darkness? These are some of the names in the Bible God used to call and talk about you before you came to Christ. Now what we're doing in this series is we want to learn, well, what does God call us now? And please understand, we're not going to talk about our future identity. We're going to talk about our current identity because, and I want you to write this down, God only calls us what we are now, not what we will be. Now that's very important. When God gives you a new name, and when God gives you a new identity, it is how he sees you right now, not how he will see you someday way off in the future. God only sees you as what he calls you. Now what do you think God calls you most? Now this is interesting to me. The designation that we use the most to say who we are is the designation used the least in the Bible. And it's the word Christian. It's a good word. But only three times in the New Testament do you ever find the word Christian. That is not the name God uses the most when he talks about you. Here's the name he uses. It's the word Saint. And when the Bible calls you a saint, it is not a case of mistaken identity. Let me share with you quickly three truths about this new name you now have. Number one, all Christians are saints. You see, that word is not unfamiliar to us, but I think the biblical definition of it might be. Because regrettably, the general public's perception of what a saint is has been influenced by what I think is misguided Catholic theology. And I don't mean to denigrate any religious tradition, but just to acknowledge that the influence of the Catholic Church has pretty much uh, determined what that word means to most people. I went to a a Catholic website called catholicpages.com and here's the definition of saint to most people. All Christians aspire to become saints. That is, persons in heaven, officially canonized or not, who lived lives of great charity and heroic virtue. So notice first, in the Catholic understanding, all Christians are not saints. Christians aspire to someday become saints. 
And the second thing he noticed is to become a saint, you've got to be dead. And here's how it works. If a person dies and they've lived a life that's heroic and full of virtue, then someone who is an expert in such matters does a study of that life. And if he determines this person might be a candidate for sainthood, they turn it over to the bishop who does another study. And then if it passes that exam, it's sent to something called the Congregation for Causes of Saints in Rome, and they do more studies. And then they might determine that you reach a level they call venerable. And then more committees meet and do more studies on your life. And then you might achieve a state called blessed. Now at this point, it has to be determined that there are at least two verifiable miracles accomplished after you're dead by people who have petitioned in your name to show that even though you're dead, you still have a very special relationship to God. And after all of that, the Pope can officially canonize you and you can join the list or litany of saints. See, that's a pretty complicated process. Yeah, and it can take a long time. It can take years. It can take centuries. But that is never how the word is used in the Bible. The word saint is never used to describe a special Christian. In fact, in its 68 uses in the New Testament, it's always a plural context and it's referring to Every Christian. Let me just give you some examples. It's interesting how often the word all shows up next to the word saints. Romans 1 verse 7. To all in Rome who were loved by God and called to be saints. Philippians 1 verse 1 says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Now notice, there are subsets in the church. Some were elders, not all. Some were deacons, not all. But all were saints. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In chapter 3, we read, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And in chapter 6 we read, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Well, what's the New Testament process for becoming a saint? One step, accept Christ. That's it. If you accept Jesus Christ, you are now a saint of God. You're never going to be prayed to. You're not going to be worshipped or revered. In the Bible, all the saints give all the glory to Jesus. Because here's what the word really means. It comes from a group of words where we get words like holy and sanctify. And it means set apart. Why is the Bible the holy Bible? Because it's different. It's set apart from all other books. Why is the temple the holy temple? Because it's set apart. It's special for God's use. And so why are all Christians saints? Because every single Christian has been set apart for the purposes of Jesus. Let me illustrate this way. If you came to my house, we invited you over to spend the night. And Jamie said, it's time for supper. And you went to the table and sat down. And maybe you didn't know and you sat in my chair because the kids know a chair has been set apart for me to sit in but I call that low level holiness I'm not going to make you get up out of my chair I'll just sit somewhere else and then you might say hey do you mind if I take a shower I feel kind of dirty 
well, I'd take you back to our bathroom, and we've got a shower in my bathroom, and I'm the only one who uses it. It's set apart for me. But I'd let you use a shower. That's low-level holiness. And then you get out of the shower, and you say, Rick, I forgot my toothbrush. Can I use your toothbrush? You just crossed the line. <laughs> because my toothbrush is set apart only for me and my purposes. That's high-level holiness. Now, that is you. Every one of you that has accepted Jesus is set apart for Jesus Christ and for his purposes. So put it on your resume, St. Bob. When you apply to college, St. Debbie. Put it on your business card, St. Bill the plumber. Because you are a saint. And in the church, there's no such thing as second-class saints. See, that's point two. Every Christian is all saint. Remember, God does not call us what we will be. God calls us what we are. And so sainthood is not something you build up to. It's not something you put on the layaway plan so that if you do enough good things, finally you can get it. Charlie Waters, some of you remember, played for many years safety for the Dallas Cowboys. He went to college at Clemson. He tells a story about his coach, a man named Frank Howard. They had a big game coming up on Saturday, but they had a problem. They had five quarterbacks on the roster, first string down to fifth string. The first string quarterback was out with an injury. And so was the third string quarterback. So they've only got three left. They go Monday for practice, and in five minutes, the second string quarterback tore up his knee, and he is out. So now the fourth string quarterback is the first string quarterback. And they resume practice. And ten minutes later, he tears up his knee, and he's out. Coach Howard called the whole team together around the fifth-string quarterback and put his arm around him and said, Son, do you believe in magic? And the boy says, Well, maybe. And the coach goes, Poof! You are a starting quarterback. And he changed his status immediately just like that. That's what God does. When you come to Christ, your status is positionally and permanently changed. Not because of what you do. Because of what Jesus did. Look at Hebrews 10, 10. And by that will, we have been made. And here's where the word Satan comes from. We've been made holy. Through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The sacrifice of Christ has made you saintly. Once and for all. This is not libel. This is gospel. In fact... The best example I could give you is the church in Corinth. What a messed up group they were. In chapter 1, they're arguing about personalities. In chapter 5, they're allowing immorality in the church to go unchecked. Chapter 6, they're taking each other to court over silly matters. Chapter 7, they're getting divorces they're not supposed to be getting. In chapter 11, they're not uh, waiting on the poor before they have the Lord's Supper. Chapter 12 through 14, they have all kinds of chaos in the assembly. Chapter 15, they're not even sure about the doctrine of the resurrection. And in both letters, he starts with these words. To the saints in Corinth. And the reason he could call them saints is because he also called them temples. 
He said in chapter 6, before you accepted Christ, your life was a mess and you were into lots of things you didn't need to be into. But look what he says in verse 11. There was a time when some of you were just like that, but now your sins have been washed away and you have been set apart for God. Or don't you know that your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, was given to you by God? Christ gave himself for us so that he could give himself to us. We've all driven down the street and we see this vacant lot and there's a big sign, future home of. And I think that's how some of you look at yourself. Well, I'm not much now, but someday I'll be the future home of God. That's not what God says. God says you are a saint now. You are a temple now. And my spirit has chosen now to live in you. And since you have been set apart to be God's home, you recognize some things just don't belong in the house anymore, right? I love the true story a few years ago. There was a middle school in Oregon that had a problem. You know when girls hit about 11 to 13 and start to become young ladies, they want to look like it, and that includes makeup. So these young ladies were bringing their makeup to middle school and they were going to the bathroom and putting on lipstick. And they were going to the mirrors and touching the mirror with their lips and leaving little lipstick prints on the mirrors that the janitor had to clean up. This brilliant principal dealt with it this way. She called all the girls into the bathroom with the janitor and she said, girls, when you do that, you make it very hard for him to clean the mirrors. Show the girls how hard it is to clean these mirrors. He takes a squeegee goes over to the toilet, dips it a couple of times, and it starts cleaning the mirrors. They have had no more problems with lipstick in the mirrors. Because some things just don't belong in the house. And that's what it means. That all Christians are saints. That every Christian is all saint. But to be Christian is to pursue saintliness in all things the God who made you a saint is also molding you so that your practice matches your position so we saw in Hebrews 10 10 that God has made you holy by the sacrifice of Jesus but now in verse 14 and by that one sacrifice he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy And that Holy Spirit that lives in you now, His job is to lead you into living like who you are. A lot of people don't understand this. You see, you were made holy, that's called justification. But you're being made holy. And that's sanctification. We love these stories of people that become Christians and they talk about all the stuff that they were into and how messed up their life was. But then they came to Christ and they got baptized. The end. No, that's not the end. That is the beginning. They were made holy and now they are being made holy as they learn what it is like to live consistent with who they really are. It doesn't work like this. Oh, you know, I became a Christian and the first week I memorized the New Testament. And the second week I saw this guy with no legs, so I healed him and now he can walk. And the third week I've converted my whole neighborhood. That's not how it works. You start 
the life and the journey of learning to live like who you are. Do you think Tashan, as soon as he was baptized, never lost his temper again? But he'll tell you that with the Holy Spirit now living inside, he is enabled to live a more self-controlled life than he's been ever able to live before. Because to be Christian is to pursue saintliness in all things. And God's Spirit is relentless, refusing to allow us to get comfortable with parts of our lives that aren't very saintly. C.S. Lewis had a great illustration about this. He said when he was a boy, sometimes he'd get a toothache, but he wouldn't want to tell his mama. He'd just let it hurt and hurt until he couldn't take it anymore, couldn't even go to sleep. And then he'd tell his mama, and she'd give him aspirin, and he could go to sleep, but he knew the next morning he was going to the dentist. Because that's what mama would do. And he knew when he went to the dentist, the dentist wasn't just going to look at the one tooth. He was going to look at all the teeth. And then he said, our Lord is like the dentist. People go to him to be cured of some particular sin. Well, he'll cure it all right, but he won't stop there. That may be all you asked. But once you call him in, he will give you the full treatment. And that's what God's going to do. God's going to prod. He's going to poke. He's going to confront. He's going to convict until you are pursuing saintliness in every part of your life. Because some things just aren't proper now for your new identity. That's Paul's point in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, he mentions three sins. He could have mentioned 103. But look at chapter 5, verse 3. He says, but fornication... And all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is fitting among saints. Some things just don't fit saints. It's out of character for who you are. And so, here recently, when you were drunk... And you don't have to put on your church face because recently some of you were drunk. It's not so much that you broke a command. Don't get drunk. But you broke God's heart because you lived beneath who you are. It's not fitting for saints. To be drunk. And you broke his heart when you got on that porn site on the internet. That's just not proper for a saint. And when you went to your kid's ball game and you stood up in the stands for five minutes and screamed and acted like a fool at the coach and at the ref. That might be what the other dads do. That's not fitting for a saint. And when you spoke curtly to your husband, or when you talked disrespectfully to your daddy, that's not who you are. And it's the job of the Holy Spirit. To lead you to live 
like the person God says you are. See, God has given us a new identity that we might make known His identity. And so, as we grow in saintly living, people learn more about who God is because of who we are. But you need to know something. Even when you fail at helping people see God in you, God never fails to see Jesus in you. God says you are a saint. And he's not changing his mind. That's why I love the story I came across a few weeks ago of a woman that 11 years ago had a brain tumor. And they were able to take the tumor out, but in so doing, a nerve was severed that controlled the function of her mouth. And now her mouth is permanently crooked. She'll never have the gorgeous smile so many of you take for granted. And three years later, she met the love of her life. And she said of him, and it was so beautiful, not one time has he ever mentioned my mouth. Not when he's angry, not when he's joking. I look in the mirror and I see deformity. But all he sees is beauty. And that's all God sees when he looks at you. Because God calls it as he sees it. And God sees you as a saint. So I've got to ask you a very important question. Just who do you think you are? Now usually when we ask that question we're mad. Just who do you think you are? But that's not how I'm asking the question. I'm asking the question the way God asks the question. Just who do you think you are? Because you see, you will behave consistent with what you believe about your identity. I think that's why one of my very favorite scenes from a musical is at the end of a play called Man of La Mancha, the story of Don Quixote. And some of you know that story. Don Quixote is a crazy old man, a fool, who thinks he's a knight, chasing impossible dreams, having battles with windmills that he thinks are dragons and giants. And there is in the story a woman he befriends, a prostitute, And her name is Aldonza. But he never calls her Aldonza. All through the play, he calls her Dulcinea. It means sweet woman. And he sings to her. And every time he says Dulcinea, 
All the people in town smirk and roll their eyes because they know she's Aldonza, the hooker. And at the end of the play, Don Quixote is dying. And as he does, she starts to sing, to dream the impossible dream. And when she's through, someone shouts, Aldonzo! And she stands up and she holds her head like she never has before and she says, My name is Dulcinea. And you know, she will never be who she used to be again. Because love has changed her life. That's the gospel. That the unexplainable, undeserved love of God can give you a new you. A born again identity. And so friends, don't settle for a mistaken identity. Be all you can be. Oh, beloved saints of God. So, Father, I ask you right now to pour out your blessing over this people. Because to really embrace this message, we're going to have to do spiritual warfare. The devil is going to be there tomorrow as soon as we put our feet on the floor saying, I know who you are, filling us with lies. We're going to resist the devil by faith. We're going to claim our real identity. We're going to embrace it. We are the saints of God. We have been made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus. And the Spirit of God is making us holy. And we will not settle for a mistaken identity. Help us, God, to be what you see. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to sing a song now. And if you would like to pray with someone today about your life and the journey you're on, all you've got to do is go to our chapel. Our elders and ministers will wait for you there. And if you would like to begin the journey, come down today. You know you've got to do one thing in this church to be a saint, just one thing. You've got to confess Jesus. We'll give you the chance today in front of this crowd. Confess him, unite to his death and resurrection, be baptized, and start the journey of saintliness today. Just let us know while we stand up and sing.